Welcome to the Contracting Officer Podcast. It's not just for contracting officers. If you work anywhere in the government acquisition world, this podcast is for you. Today, we're reviewing, refreshing, and updating the acquisition time zones. This episode is brought to you by Skyway Acquisition. Becoming a Skyway community member makes it easier to navigate the complicated world of government contracting because you gain contacts from Skyway's team of former contracting officers. Go to skywaymember.com to get started with a personal membership because without context, you're likely missing opportunities that you don't see. Okay, let's get started with the acquisition time zones. It's been over 200 episodes since we really talked about the time zones in any kind of detail. We started them way back in episode three, which is funny to listen to. Yeah, that was the early days. But yeah, we weren't as crisp. We've actually gotten a little better at this over the last four years, four and a half years. We we followed up episode three with specific episodes on each of the acquisition time zones from episodes twelve to fifteen. Since since then, it's kind of just become part of the language that we use to speak to each other. Yeah, the time zones is we've trained on them, we've expanded them, we've re, we've actually revisited it a couple times. We've mentioned them in I think almost every episode. And what I like is I get feedback from podcast listeners on how they use them, so we can keep making them better. But it's a foundational thing for us now. So here we are, four years later, and now I can't think of a regular time zone without thinking of the acquisition time zones. It's kind of, it's kind of skewed my perspective. I'm not sure what that says about me. Today, we're going to revisit the acquisition time zones and talk about some of the things we've learned over the last four years. But first, let's stop and say thanks. The shout out this week goes to Wes Postal. Or Postal. Postal. I apologize. Postal. <laughs> I apologize if I'm, if I'm butchering that. Wes is the director of defense and federal programs at Circadence. It's a cybersecurity company in Huntsville, Alabama. Is it Circadence or Circadence? Circadence. Okay. Could be either. Okay. So he butchered his name and his company's name. <laughs> good, good day for us. Sir Cadence is a better way to say it. I want to thank Wes for liking and sharing our recent episodes. And we've tried lots of ways to share our content over the years. The best way for people to find the content continues to be people like Wes liking and sharing our podcast. Thanks, Wes. Notice I didn't try to re-butcher his last name or his company. All right. On to the time zones. Let's run through each time zone and describe when the time zone starts, and when it ends. We've used these, like you said, as a foundational concept across the podcast so that people can recognize where in the acquisition process am I right now? The first zone is the requirement zone. I'll let you describe how that starts. The requirement zone starts when the government identifies there's a problem to fix. It, it may be a recurring problem. It may be a new problem. Either way, it's we have a problem. We have something we have to fix. So problem could be the grass keeps growing in front of the buildings on the base. So that grass needs cut so we don't have to work in a jungle. It could be something <laughs> as simple as that, right? It could also be we want to be able to take pretty pictures of clouds so that we can better forecast the weather. So let's build a satellite that flies up in space that can take all kinds of readings and take pictures so that we can better forecast the weather. Pretty big difference in the uh, complexity of the problem there. Everything in between. Right. What's happening during this zone is government is having internal discussions They're looking at the previous requirement. They, they may start to think about what can industry do. But really, this is what is the problem? What, what is the need that we have to solve? In this case, track the weather with a satellite. 
that's the need. Who can do it, how it's gonna be done, how we're gonna buy it, those are coming later. But right now, what facets of the weather are we trying to track? So it starts with, I have a problem. I either need to have this grass be shorter or I need to better forecast the weather. And it ends with, I have documented what that requirement is in a way that industry can understand. So the grass cutting statement of work or performance work statement is quite a bit different from the satellite statement of work. And the point about making it so industry can understand it, that's never as easy as it sounds. I actually jumped ahead by talking about statement of work and performance work statements because in the requirement zone, the government's probably just writing a requirements document that describes in technical terms what the requirement is. How that requirement will be accomplished happens in the next zone. So with the requirement zone, we've started with, with I have a problem and we've ended with I've defined the requirements that I think will need to be met to solve my problem. That moves us to the second acquisition time zone, the market research zone. And the market research zone is all about how can this be bought? Who can do it? How long is the contract going to be? Is it even possible? All of that market research of how can this be acquired from industry? So it starts with, we have a need, we've defined it, and it ends with, okay, we know how we're going to buy it. We have an acquisition plan. And then an RFP eventually will be released. So it starts with, I have my defined requirement, ends with, this is how I'm going to buy it because I understand what types of companies are capable of doing it, that there are companies that are capable of doing it. And I've written a request for proposal and I've released it. What's happening during the zone is all of that churn as the government tries to figure it out. Some of it could be internet research for simple requirements. More formal things happen like government releases market surveys, requests for information, They may hold industry days to talk to industry about the requirements to make sure that they're actually communicating. They may release draft requests for proposals where they say, we think we're going to do it like this. Give us your comments. They're trying to confirm, will this acquisition strategy end up with me being able to acquire what I meant to acquire? The day that that RFP is released, the second actually that RFP is released, we move from the market research zone to the RFP zone. And before we move to the RFP zone, when when the RFPs dropped, keep in mind that we can jump back to the requirements zone from the market research zone based on what we learn. The market research may show that that the requirement needs to be tweaked based on what industry actually can do. So there's a grayer line between those first two zones. When we get to the RFP zone, it's much more rigid. It it's, can be cyclical between requirements and market research zone because you're researching and you may find that you your requirement is either something that isn't defined well enough for industry to respond to, or your requirement is for something that doesn't actually exist or isn't possible of existing yet in the world. The second that the RFP is released, we move from the market research zone to the RFP zone. The RFP zone is when the proposals are being developed by industry. So it starts with the RFP release, and it ends the second that proposals are submitted to the government. That due date that's that's posted in the request for proposal, proposals are due at 12.31 p.m. on March 26th. That is the end of the RFP zone. And what's happening during the RFP zone, once the RFP is released, now you have industry trying to, trying to digest, successfully hopefully, <laughs> digesting the final version of this RFP. What is the government actually going to award this contract based on? So they're asking questions and, and government should be answering those questions. 
And industry is spending a lot of time building out a proposal, mapping out an actual strategy that they're going to execute after contract award. Because a lot of this was, hey, this might happen, this might happen, we're thinking about doing this. All of it was still kind of fuzzy. Once the RFP zone starts and that final RFP is released, now it's it's go time. Because we have to take all those ideas and solidify them into one idea that we then present to the government. As we talked about during the initial episodes on this, the RFP zone is crunch time for industry. This is where people are working long hours, late nights, weekends, through the holidays, trying to get everything done before that proposal due date. And on the big complex things, this work is happening even before the RFP zone, but the they're during the RFP zone, they're making sure that it actually matches what the final RFP says, not what they thought it was going to say or what the draft RFP said. And that's why proposal scheduling, which we have an episode about. In fact, I did it. I did one with Vicky, one of our team members, about the importance of the proposal schedule, managing out a schedule. Because during that RFP zone, it only is it's a finite amount of time. It might be two weeks. It might be a month. It might be three months. It's a finite amount of time relative to the size of the requirement. So on some of the giant ones, it might be three months. On some of the smaller ones, it might be two weeks. But either way, it's crunch time, to your point. Proposal is submitted. RFP zone ends, and we move to the last acquisition time zone, the source selection zone. And this is crunch time for the government. Proposals are submitted. Now the government has to evaluate them. The source selection zone begins... The second those proposals are submitted, when the when the proposal submission period ends, here we go, source selection zone. And it ends when the award is made. It actually ends after the protest period is over, which we've talked about in a bunch of different episodes. For the purposes of this podcast, it ends when the award is made. Because when the award is made, we move into the execution time zones, which is a whole other group of time zones that describes what happens after award. What's happening in this zone is the proposals are submitted, so now the government – you said the government's in crunch time. That's one of those things that people think that the government doesn't have a timeline, that it takes longer to evaluate because they have they set the schedule. Sometimes I would be able to – as a contracting officer, I could delay things an extra two weeks as we were working our way through the evaluation. But the crunch time part, the feel of that is the customer still wants the contract to be awarded. The government still has – go back to that first zone. That requirement still needs to be met. So there's still crunch time of we need to get this done. We need to keep moving. So it, one of the frustrations I hear a lot from industry is why does it take the government so long to evaluate things? And so the perception is the government doesn't have a clock ticking behind them. Well, they do. It's just not – it's one that they somewhat control. But the government customer wants it to get done. Sometimes it actually is a clock ticking like we talked about in the Colors of Money episode. Sometimes money can't be obligated after the end of the fiscal year. So there literally is a clock ticking that if you don't get this done and awarded by this day, that money's gone. It's an actual clock. I had one of the source selections I managed that we got it down to the 27th of September. Our evaluation process, including the source selection authority, which was me, source selection authority signing off on the on the document was scheduled out to the 27th. And we show it to the, the program managers and the lawyers and they say, dude, you don't have any wiggle space in the schedule. <laughs> Welcome to real life. So understand that that does happen. The government does have a clock ticking on them, even if you don't hear it. Why is it important to understand the acquisition time zones? There are different rules, both formal and informal for that matter, that apply in each time zone. Yeah, let's use communication as an example of those different rules. 
we've brought this up in many, many podcasts. Like you said, we probably talk about the acquisition time zones or the execution time zones in every podcast in some way. The type of communications that are allowable and encouraged during each time zone are often misunderstood or misapplied. In the requirement zone, the government can talk to anyone about anything at any time, right? This is the, if you're fishing, you're casting a wide net here. You're trying to figure out how to write requirements that that completely describe what you want to buy. And you may need help with that if it's something very complex. And, And you may even have contractors helping you write it. Which they have conflict of interest, which is a different episode yeah. that we covered a while hopefully, ago. Hopefully, not the same contractors that are competing to build it. But you, you, the government may bring in technical experts, scientists, engineers that that can not only understand but can write exactly what they what's in their brains in a way that other people can understand. In the market research zone, communications become a little more formal. The government's often asking for information through requests for information or looking for back and forth during industry days or releasing market surveys, asking for information about who can do this and how can they do this, or maybe even releasing draft requests for proposals where the draft RFP says, we think that this acquisition strategy is how to go about this. Will this get us what we want? Communication should be wide open during this point. During the market research zone, everybody can still talk to everybody. But often, communications start to feel restricted as the government tries to choke off some of those comms channels in order to limit that flow and avoid drowning. You, I know you felt it like I have. You release a market survey, and suddenly your phone is ringing off the hook, and your e- email inbox just blows up with people trying to not respond to the market survey but get more information. And you just want to say, no, wait, 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 wait. Submit your response to the market survey. I'll read that, and that's how I'll learn. I, I can't have 100 meetings. I can't have 1,000 emails. And, and that's one of the frustrations from industry is I can't get the government CEO to call me back. I can't get the government customer to call me back. That's one of the reasons. They can't call 100 people back. thing is they don't have to call 100 people back. But when they don't, when the times that I only called like three people back, guaranteed one of those 97 who I didn't call would find out and would call my boss, and it was a thing. And the thing is during market research – you can talk to whoever you, you want. It's an open conversation, but because it, people start to kind of make it feel like it's more formal, then it has to be quote unquote fair, which means the expectation suddenly theoretically becomes you got to call all hundred people, which you can't do. So you end up calling nobody. Right. And just like that, communications have shut down. Unlike the source selection zone where you have to evaluate all the proposals that come in. Well, you don't even really have to do that, but that's another episode. Have, altogether. Have it all, have it all. In the market research zone, you can pick and choose what information you want to dig deeper into. It's like you said, you feel like you have to respond to all 100, but there's no rule that you have to. You need to figure out what the most important sources of information are and get deep into those and try to ignore the noise. Yeah, because in the RFP zone, which comes up in a minute, then you have to call 100 people back. and that, that, That's what happens is that feel of I need to be fair – which you do once the RFP comes out. But in the market research zone, that's one of the biggest choke points in communication between industry and government is in the market research zone, people think that it's the RFP zone or the source selection zone where they have to be, oh, I can't talk to them. You can talk to them openly during the market research zone because it's just market research. We have all kinds of episodes talking about FAR references that say talk to industry. That's what we want. 
And and then likewise, industry, they don't have to talk to every single person that calls them. The acquisition team could have a phone conversation with one company, a meeting with another company, and no contact with a third company. And that's okay at this point. And the more targeted the communication, the more effective that phone call versus meeting versus I'm not calling you back is. Exactly. When you move to the RFP zone, communications are strictly controlled by the contracting officer. And they have to flow through the contracting officer. Because here's where the government needs to treat everyone fairly. And in order to do that, we have to have documentation of all the communications. Communication has a different feel in the RFP zone. Because now, like you said, it has to go through the contracting officer. That is a frustrating place for both government and industry to find themselves if they don't realize the difference in communication between the market research zone and the RFP zone. What happens is if industry doesn't know that that they're in the RFP zone, they get really frustrated that the government will talk to them at all. Likewise, if the government doesn't realize they're in the market research zone, they, they don't talk to industry and they don't get the communication they need. And likewise, industry gets frustrated and, and all these bad things that people say about each other are happening because the communication is not starting properly in the market research zone. When you get to the source selection zone, communications are almost non-existent. This is where the government is heads down evaluating proposals. The only real back and forth between industry and the government is extremely formal and sometimes delicate conversations because everyone's <laughs> documenting everything because yep. you don't want to get a protest here. As we talked about in the many episodes that we've done about the source selection process and evaluation process, the government can ask clarification questions or move to formal discussions about the proposals. That is where communications occur. Otherwise, the source selection zone is a desert of communications. And I've heard the source selection zone referred to as the black box. That's where yeah. the proposal goes into the black box and then something else comes out the other side. And, and one of the things that we do on the Skyway team, because we're all former contracting officers, is we know what happens in the black box. Some of our customers have us go through a red team simulation, basically, of their proposal as if it's in the black box. Because that's what we did. We managed what goes on inside the black box. Because if you don't know what's happening during the source selection zone, which if you're industry, you've probably not actually done that, it can be very frustrating, which is why industry refers to it as the black box. Likewise, on the government side, that's why they're frustrated. They don't know what you're doing with it. You've had their proposal, or when I was a CEO, I had their proposal for, in one case, six months. And they're like, what What can you possibly be doing for six months? But they don't know. And so understand that that is a black box industry. And that's why they'll get frustrated. And, and like you said, information is, it's eyedroppered out very delicately. That's the essence of the source selection zone. But again, if you don't know that, everybody gets mad. What I think of when I hear you describe the black box is sometimes the black box is misplaced or expands where the (laughs) RFP zone or the market research zone feels like it's a black box. You submit your market survey response and you never hear anything back. Nothing ever happens, right? It's important that the black box only covers that source selection zone. And it's also important that there's there's some pinholes in that black box so that if <laughs> a little light comes out so that if your source selection is delayed and you have the proposals for six months, that you release some kind of information industry and say, hey, we've had a delay. New award date is expected to be this time. And that, and that small piece of communication is enough to, so people have context so that way they know what's going on. We created this acquisition time zone concept as an analogy for the process. 
first to help us it, while we're talking about these things on the podcast so we could describe to folks where in the acquisition process is what we're talking about taking place. One of my favorite parts about doing this podcast is podcast feedback sessions. And and by the way, if you want one, just go to askskyway.com and say you want to give us a feedback because I learn so much about how our listeners use the content and in particular how they use the acquisition time zones and how they apply this metaphor to their day-to-day job. It's, it's really interesting. One listener said they use the time zones, they, they integrate them with their pipeline, with their their list of opportunities that they're pursuing, the pipeline of opportunities that they're tracking. And so what they do is they overlap the time zones, and that way they know which time zone is each deal in. So they have an opportunity that they're tracking two years out because the contract's going to renew. Well, that one's probably going to be in the requirement zone because the government hasn't actually started doing the market research yet. However, when it's about a year out, then it would slide into the market research zone because the government's going to start looking at, I'm recompeting this contract. Do I do it the same way? You should be on the lookout for things like an RFI or maybe a draft RFP. Or likewise, the opportunities that they're tracking that the RFP is actually out, that's in the RFP zone. So when they know which zone it's in, they know what can happen. Like we just talked about, what level of communication is open to them depending on what zone it's in. They know how to apply their resources. Do we need to have people ready to write an RFI response? Should we be getting it ready already? Or is the proposal team supposed to be ready? There's a big difference between those two things. Another listener said that they use the time zones to qualify specific opportunities. In fact, he told me he uses the ability to see the time zones. Can he see the time zones in the plan that the government has laid out? If he can't clearly see how the time zones are going to play out, how that schedule is going to lay out for the acquisition plan that the government has put out, then they might not even go after the opportunity because it means the communication isn't clear enough. Right. It's going to be a mess if if the government skipped a zone and no one really understands the requirement or if the government hasn't done the research to understand how industry might satisfy that requirement. At that point, you might say, this one's going to be kind of messy and could take a long time and they might not even get to an award. So I don't want to invest in this one. He told me in a meeting that someone said, hey, they skipped the market research zone. That was the red flag. They said, you know what? This opportunity is not worth tracking. Because the government had skipped that zone, they knew it wasn't as strong of an opportunity for them. Amazing way that I never thought to use these time zones. It's pretty cool. Before I move on, I'm going to give one more example. I met with one of our customers recently, Jordan Day. He's from uh, Oracle's National Security Group. And he said he thinks of the time zones as four seasons. And it was a really cool way to think of it because one of them feels colder, one of them feels warmer. I, I thought that was really a cool way to using it, although that's another rabbit hole. <laughs> I don't want to make it more confusing, but it was kind of cool that he's come up with his own model that applies to the time zones. We're talking time zones here, not seasons. <laughs> don't confuse me. <laughs> Specifically on the government side, why does the government care about the time zones? The goal for the government is to, to award the contract, to buy something, to satisfy a mission requirement. The government needs to keep moving through these time zones. Think of it like the sun moving across the country. You know, our time zones in the United States, our time zones, well, everywhere. The, yeah. That's funny. If we're talking the time time zones, the real time zones, not the acquisition time zones, the sun moves from east to west and the time zones follow that. As the acquisition moves across the time zones, the government needs to be able to communicate to industry what zone they're in. The indicators are there if you understand 
the analogy that we use that we're now we've moved from the market research zone to the RFP zone. The government needs to understand that when they release that RFP, their ability to communicate with industry changes, and industry needs to understand that the opposite that the the opportunity for open communications is gone. The contracting officer is not going to answer the phone anymore. Some of the most frustrating moments I had as a contracting officer was when industry didn't realize which zone we were in. To some extent, that's my fault because I was driving how fast we're moving through the zones. And the frustration of, oh, I didn't realize that you were doing market research on that new requirement. Or, hey, I didn't realize that contract was already awarded. Or, hey, I didn't realize that I, I couldn't communicate with you. Or, hey, I want to protest the fact you didn't set this aside for small business. Those are the kind of things that it's because they didn't know what zone we're in. I had somebody protest the award of a contract to other than a small business because they were a small business. They were mad about it. Okay, that's after the source selection zone had already happened. They missed all four zones and they were mad. I mean, they were calling their congressman. It was, it was, it's because I didn't clearly communicate where we were in, in the process. And in that case, it was a set aside limited competition. I mean, there was nuance to it. But that's the point is that if they don't know what zone we're in, my job as a contracting officer gets harder. So the more you communicate with them, what zone we are in right now, and oh, by the way, we're about to step into the next one. The more you can communicate that, the easier your job is. Whether you've communicated or not, industry needs to understand the rules and what changes when. Protesting an award based on something that you found out or should have found out in the market research zone about how the government was going to go about this acquisition, you're way too late. And we've talked about why that's a problem in protest episodes. From the industry side, understand that the government is going to move at their own pace, not your pace, as frustrating as that may be. The acquisition strategy that they're defining during the market research zone and executing as they release the RFP and evaluate proposals, that acquisition strategy defines how fast the government will move through the time zones. If it's a GSA order or a task order or delivery order on a multiple award contract or if it's a simplified acquisition procedure – which we have episodes about all of those, or if it's a government credit card, all of those are quick, quicker, right? I mean, that's the equivalent of, of zipping across the time zones. Compare that to it's a new requirement with a full FAR Part 15 source selection. They may have a down select to it. All of those are a much slower way of awarding a contract. Those are extremes, and there's a lot of stuff in between those two. If you think about the acquisition time zones, how how the the sun moves across the – I keep saying this – the time time zones, the real time zones. It's confusing <laughs> to talk about this way, Kevin. The sun moves at a certain speed every day across the time zones. Think about the acquisition strategy as as being different planets, and a, a day takes a different amount of time on a different planet. I don't, I don't know how many Earth days is a day on Jupiter, 20-something I can't remember that from from my space uh, and astronomy Astronom classes. <laughs> astronomy class, yeah, I took one astronomy class. Let's stop here and wrap this one up, Kevin. On the government side, keep moving through the time zones and communicate where you are. Don't skip a zone if you can help it. Even, even if you step in the market research zone for five minutes, it's when you skip over a zone, it, it, it creates problems. Again, I wish I'd have learned that earlier in my career as a contracting officer. On the industry side, there's a lot of ground to cover, and going back to the the, the time time zones, there's a, it's 3,000 miles across the United States for those four <laughs> time zones. Right? It's a lot of space to cover. 
sometimes the government's going to use like a, a mule cart and slowly walk across the zones and drive everybody crazy. And there's a reason for that because it may be a complex requirement, maybe a new technology that's going to take a while. So understand it's going to feel like it's a mule cart. Other times it may feel like an SR-71, that they're zipping across the time zones with a credit card purchase or with a multiple award or, or with a direct award to an 8A contractor. There are lots of ways to zip across there. Targeting the requirements, targeting the agencies, targeting those acquisition strategies, that's how industry can have a better, although never perfect, understanding of the speed at which government is covering those time zones. Because I, I go back to the frustration piece. As a government CO, when I would put out an RFP and I would move through that, those time zones quickly because I was doing a limited competition, uh, I was doing a limited competition under FAR Part 6, people who didn't know what that was were mad. They're like, you went so fast. Other times I was doing a full FAR Part 15 that took like, you know, 18 months and everybody was mad it took too long. So, you know, it's <laughs> like the, they're looking for the Goldilocks source selection and I'm not sure that exists. I'll wrap up with two things. One, I think it's funny that you're talking about the mule cart and you're limiting it to the continental United States. You actually said those four time zones. We don't want to poke our friends in Alaska and Hawaii in the eye. Uh, there Fair are enough. more than four time zones, but in the mule cart example, it'd be hard to get to Hawaii in the mule cart. And we actually have customers in Hawaii and Alaska, so sorry about that. <laughs> Last thing, remember that the rules can be slightly different. The formal rules and the informal processes in each time zone. Understand which zone you're in and what's allowable, whether you're on the government or the industry side. Maximize the communications that are allowable in each stage, and I think you'll end up with better acquisition results. And with that, I'll talk to you later, Kevin. See you, Paul. Okay, that's it for today. If you need help navigating the acquisition time zones, Skyway guides companies like yours to winning new business. Visit askskyway.com to learn how. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next week. Song, it was like a wait. Yeah, <laughs> that's awesome. So if I say, say um, expand, um, you already said re-examined. Expound. <laughs> that sounds a way too smart. <laughs> uh, Unpack. <laughs> <laughs> that word is banned. <laughs> banned from the podcast. Blacklisted word. <laughs> <laughs>